Hello and welcome to episode 206 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Scott Shelton. Today on the podcast, there's no more Spitgate, no more misflow, and no more Shia shenanigans. No, today we'll actually be talking about the movie itself, Don't Worry Darling. But first, how are you, Scott? I'm doing well. Fall has officially set in New York City. It is consistently in the mid to upper 60s. And Scott, for these couple weeks where this temperature is settled in this way, I'm living the dream. This is it. It's my nirvana of weather. It's perfect. No notes. Yeah, even uh, like this past Saturday in Tennessee at the at the game, um, the weather honestly was was perfect. It was, uh, you know, very mild, like 70, 72 degrees or so. Um, Not a whole lot of sun beating down on you or anything, which for the Florida game is actually pretty rare. Usually it's still quite hot when we play Florida. But um, but yeah, it was it was nice. And I'm going to be in uh, D.C. this weekend and it's supposed to be like in the 50s, I think, in the evenings. So um, it will be not not even mild at that point. I think it's going to be quite cool, uh, honestly. So I'm going to be packing some long sleeves, I guess, for the first time in a while. My. J.A. nickname in college, which is like J.A. is like kind of like an R.A. for Williams. But my J.A. nickname in college was Sweater Weather. Um, and I that is true, true to form for me. I, I do love my sweater weather. So, you know, the fact that I can wear a nice little light jacket in the morning walking to work. Prime. We finally get to the real reason why you have moved up to uh, the northeast New England area. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. For so many years now. Yeah. It's, well, it's funny it's because I got weather. that nickname because I was an absolute insane person because i wore a sweater in the summer during the ja training um and it was still like 80 to 90 degrees and i was wearing a sweater and so they the the name was more making fun of me than it was true but it's also nice that i can wear a sweater and look like a normal human being in the fall um i'm less into sweaters in the summer these days but i I still love my sweaters in the fall that must be must be said so that's sweater talk for for this week well, you never know what the topic is going to be it's true. Uh, up front yeah. nowadays. It's it's always something different. But uh, Scott, it's fair to say that uh, no sweaters were being worn. Uh, I don't think in our in our film because the sun was always beating down. Yeah. I mean, it was um, the mil- looked like the middle of the desert out there. Yeah, I think that was the the goal. Pa- Palm Springs ish, I think, was kind yeah. of the the vibe yeah. that it was going for. But. Um, As mentioned, Scott, our movie today is perhaps the most controversial film of the year. Don't worry, darling. Don't Worry Darling reunites the director-writer team of Olivia Wilde and Katie Silberman after the smash success of 2019's teen comedy Booksmart. This time, Wilde and Silberman are tackling more serious material with this psychological thriller set in the seemingly utopian town of Victory, where couple Alice and Jack Chambers, played by Florence Pugh and Harry Styles, are treated to an idyllic life of sunny days, friends, and no worries. While Jack leaves every morning for his job as a technician on the mysterious Victory Project, Alice stays home, cleans, cooks, and otherwise fulfills all the stereotypes of a 50s housewife. Under the watchful eye of Frank, played by Chris Pine, the charismatic man behind the Victory's upstart community, everyone seems to be thriving. Everyone, that is, except for Margaret, played by Kiki Lane, who appears shocked and disturbed when she appears at a local party, imploring her fellow Victory residents to look closer and ask questions about the isolated world they've made for themselves in Victory. Everyone seems to reject Margaret's skepticism, except for Alice, 
who begins to have doubts and eventually visions of her own, which suggests that there is something more sinister behind Victory's shiny veneer. Scott, that's about all I can say without spoiling Don't Worry Darling, so I'll leave it there. Does Olivia Wilde's sophomore effort mark an impressive transition from comedy to drama for the fledgling director, or does all of the film's behind-the-scenes drama result in an equally chaotic misfire on the screen? Yeah, you know, Scott, sophomore outing, uh, sophomore slump, I think it's fair to say, for this one. Not a good uh, showing for Olivia Wilde in this one. To be fair, I guess just just to get straight to the point, um, she is not a screenwriter on this film. I don't know how much she contributed to Katie Silverman writing this film, who she did team with um, to make Booksmart their her first directorial debut, which Katie Silverman also wrote, I think, by herself. But maybe maybe she had some co-writers on that. I don't remember off the top of my head. But the point is that Katie Silverman fumbled the bag on this one. This is a awful, awful screenplay. And I mean, story is a little bit more complicated because I think there's a couple other people who have story credits on this. The, the screenplay doesn't work. Like I thought a lot of the lines were like the dialogue. Some of it is meant to be a bit stilted. I feel like and delivered awkwardly and feel sort of um, surreal because of the nature of, of the film. Um, I think it's pretty clear from the trailers that something weird is going on in this community. And I think some of the dialogue does reflect that. But to me, there was just something more that pushed past surreal in this it just didn't it just didn't work um and that's just underlined by the fact that this film is a total disaster in the second half just like absolute mess doesn't make any sense whatsoever um there's very few movies every year that i truly like in the moment while sitting in the film wonder how on earth did they think that this made any sense when they were writing this script um some people i think sort of think about those things a little bit more than in the moment than i do but even i was just sort of nonplussed by by some of the choices that were made um, in the third act of the film. A lot of comparisons to things like Last Night in Soho, um, to Promising Young Woman, maybe some other films in there as well. Uh, I'd say those are apt comparisons for what the film is trying to say. Um, Men, I guess, from earlier this year also got yeah. some some comparisons to that. I think I think the themes are maybe the same of the two movies. I think that. Uh, that said, like, I, I think the execution of those, th those things are a little bit different in this film, Ma mainly because men is just like a one man show kind of kind of or maybe two man show going going on there. But th this thing is so similar to Last Night in Soho, but in some ways made even less sense um, than, than that film. People are saying Florence Pugh redeemed herself, I guess. I'm not sure she's playing anyone other than Florence Pugh in this movie, which is cool, I suppose. But I, I don't I mean, I guess part of it, I'm not 100 percent sure who this, you know, Alice Chamber is supposed to be. Again, maybe you could argue that that is the point of the film um, in the third act is that, you know, this character really isn't who you, you know, expect them to be in a way um, or, or shown you to be in, in the film. But I don't know, like she's the best of the worst, I guess, um, up there maybe with Chris Pine, who has some, some pretty transfixing scenes, but Harry Styles... Olivia Wilde, Jimma Chan. Like, I don't even know what Jimma Chan... Like, Jimma Chan's fine in the film, but, like, what is she doing in this movie? Like, I don't even know why she's in this movie. Um, pretty crazy stuff out I mean, there. Not yeah, I, I get why she's in the movie, like, in theory. It's just her the character that they give her is... I mean, makes no sense. In the end, it makes no sense. Yeah. So, so, someone was telling me that, like, a lot... Like, 
Yeah, someone said that a lot of the Kiki Lanes and Gemma Chan's scene. I mean, someone's telling me I saw that their scenes might have been trimmed significantly to uh, much more minor roles in the film. Um, Mm -hmm. Can't speak to the truth of that. I'd say if that were true, that would make sense based on what I saw in the film, Um, because pretty undercooked characters, um, especially they're well less more so Gemma Chan than Kiki Lane, I suppose. But uh, no idea what Gemma Chan's motivations are in this movie. No clue. No clue at all. Um, but overall, super disappointing. It is one of those kinds of films that it's not even like a dopamine hit in the moment. It isn't a fun movie to watch. It's only gotten I've only gotten more negative about it, I think, as I've sat with it now for quite a few days. I think I've, it's been four or five days since I've seen the movie. It's not not a good movie. I would not recommend. Yeah, you said, uh, you know, that this shares some themes with uh, Promising Young Woman and, you know, men and movies like that. I think you're maybe being a bit generous by saying the plural sure. themes. I think yeah, there's theme. a theme <laughs> in yeah. all of these movies. Uh, yeah, that is pretty easy to understand uh, and extremely surface level. Um, I mean, that's the thing, right, yeah. Scott? Like, not not to maybe jump the shark a bit and start talking about this. Is that like, I, I to be, to be fair, I wasn't, I didn't, I wasn't immediately thinking about this myself. But I, when I was listening to the Big Pictures podcast about this a couple of days ago, and I don't know if you've had the chance to listen to that episode. Yeah, Scott, they were. They, they were talking about, you know, Sean Fennessy and Amanda Dobbins. They're talking about how the, th- the the crazy thing about movies like this is that it's not even an interesting or it's like no no one watches this movie and like can have a debate of, or like be surprised by the actions of this film and that and say that they're bad. Like it's not it's not a profound statement. I know we say this every single time we talk about movies. Oh, like yeah. this. It's not profound. Like, why did someone write this script and and you know, think, think that they'd hit the jackpot on some incisive commentary about society. Like it's the, the problem they're creating is barely even real in society. It's like that, that's not the problem that women have in society. Uh, yeah, a hundred percent. I a hundred percent agree with that. Like the, yeah. well, again, I don't want to jump, jump ahead a little bit. We, we will get there and we'll get there soon. But sure. um, I, I, I fully agree with that, that like th- this, this movie is made, it's a very self-congratulatory movie, as a lot of these types of movies are, the, the ones that have been compared um, to. And it, it is just, it is hyperbolic. The conclusion that it reaches is hyperbolic, I guess I would say. It is, it is, this movie is made by the people who, like, will dress up in the Handmaid's Tale costumes and go to, like, uh, political events and everything and, uh, you know, act like we're going back to some sort of dystopia. Or in this case, act like we're going back to some, to the 50s, basically. Um, it, it, it is, it, yeah, it, I, I fully agree with what you're saying like, there. Like, about, the sexism that women, that women experience today, and they still experience plenty of sexism, is, is totally different from the different sexism than that movie is presenting. Yes, yeah, hundred um, percent. Like this is going to be very spoilery. So if you want to avoid spoilers for 30, for for now, fast forward thirty seconds. But like, I don't know of too many people that would be watching this movie who think that they should tie their wife down to the bed and insert them into a reality in which that they cook food for them twenty four seven, essentially. Yeah, and like playhouse. Well, like you know, it, it presents Harry Styles as oh, and he's in, he's this incel, right? Oh, he's he's you know he's listening to uh, the podcasts of like Chris yeah. Pine, and he's yeah. you know he's at his computer doing God knows what. Um, yeah. But then like this type of person, okay, maybe they exist in today's day and age. 
But yes, they do not want what this character wants in the movie. Their their sexism, their toxic masculinity, it, it, the, you know, it manifests itself in a different way. Their attitudes are very different from, than what this movie presents. This movie just goes for Occam's razor, like the simplest possible, um, sure. you know, explanation of, well, you know, these men are toxic. And so it must mean that they want, you know, us to go back to the 50s and um you know the the sexism that was rampant then um sure and toxic masculinity has progressed <laughs> in the last 70 years uh, not in the sense of uh it, it becoming any less toxic but um uh, in the like i said in the way that it presents itself and manifests itself and we've it's seen just so movies. crazy to see these types of movies made where it's like surely olivia wilde and katie silverman have experienced real world present day sexism in their lives why are we making this movie? <laughs> like, yeah. Where is that in the film? We'll circle back to that. Um, I guess to to go back to sort of my high level thoughts. Yeah, um, yeah the the movie is horrible. Um, I hated it. I hated watching this movie. Um, it's not fun to watch. Would, yeah, as you would expect with the comparisons that you drew there, you named you know some of my least favorite films, honestly, of the last few years, um, and I do think the comparisons fit. I mean, yes, of course, the twist and what we're talking about um, is ridiculous and opens up so many plot holes that never get resolved. But I did not enjoy watching the movie long before that. And I, yeah. I, I definitely don't think Olivia Wilde is innocent in all this. Now, I mean, I, I do think, at least as a director, you can watch this movie and say, well, Olivia Wilde has seen movies before, right? She knows what a movie is supposed to look like yeah. and the production design was like good and the, everything yeah the production design was good i thought that like the framing of the camera like the camera work was good like there's appealing elements Levitique of like doing the, the cinematography yeah i mean uh, you have like one of the one of the best cinematographers and who's working today doing the John film like Powell there's, doing the there's component parts that are good in this in this film but they just don't add up yeah so i mean you know i i'm not you know giving up on olivia wilde as a director all this she's gonna have to work on her behind the scenes stuff obviously um not, not to be pedantic about it but um I, mean, I think that's pretty clear at this point but um I, I mean the pacing of this movie is terrible in my opinion um it goes it, i mean it's a little only a little over two hours i guess but it I guess. just feels like it is stuck in neutral and just running in circles for so much so much of the movie yeah. it's like florence Pugh starts getting paranoid within the first 20 minutes i was and shocked how fast she is just paranoid yeah. for the next hour and a half and it doesn't really nothing really changes it's just all set up and it is like i said it gets boring at a certain point like she is you know transfixing to watch because it's florence Pugh, but like it's just spinning his wheels. The movie is just spinning its wheels and it's just like making her paranoid. I mean, it's, it's just her parent paranoia and it's not really giving us any clues. It's not really like inserting any little, you know, hints or anything for us to like, keep us invested. It's just something else is going on. Okay. We get it at this point. Like we, we know something else is going on. That's pretty clear from the freaking trailers. It's clear from anyone who's ever seen a David Lynch movie that something else is going on here. Um, get to what it is quicker, or at least drop some little clues as to what it is quicker. Um, to be fair, most people haven't seen a David Lynch movie, but yeah, your, your point. Yeah. Is I mean, 
Sure. But but the point is, this movie is has the, the generic Lynchian idea of, oh, we have this idyllic small town community, but underneath there's something really messed up going on. Um, so, again, if you have seen a David Lynch movie, you're going to know what's going on mm-hmm. in the first five minutes of this movie. Not specifically what's going on, but just, you know, that something sinister is going on. But even if you haven't, again, like I said, if you watch the trailer, you know that something's going on here. And I was listening to Mark Kermode's review, and he was like, when he's talking about the twist, he was like, yeah, this movie, Yeah, we, we finally get to the point where um, there's the reveal of what's going on. And it's just like, oh, so that's the one they picked, right? Yeah. It's not surprising. It's yeah. not like... Um, it's surprising that know, like, oh, this is what they're doing. But like thematically, it's like, well, yeah, of course. So they, they were doing something like this. Yeah, it's like yeah. there's there's one of like four or five directions that it could have feasibly gone in. Unless yeah. it was just going to be absolutely insane. Which it was insane, but not in a good way. Not in that way, um, yeah. <laughs> and it just, it chooses one of those. And once, once you know, once it reveals what the result, you know, what, what the outcome is, I was just like, okay, I just want the movie to be over now. Like I was, I was sitting here just waiting to see what the twist was going to be. Yeah. And now, now that I have been, re- it, it has been revealed, I don't even care about what happens in the end of this movie. I just, I want to go. Um, it, it was a miserable experience, honestly. Um, again, poorly paced, um, boring. Um, also, does she even make it out alive? Doesn't the film like roll credits? Well, okay, so let's just let's get to this right now while we're just <laughs> yeah. discussing because sure. I this is one of the many questions I have. <laughs> yeah. um, so at the end of the movie ends for you know people who have seen it now. Um, Sorry, the movie ends with Florence Pugh having gotten to the Victory headquarters, and supposedly if you make it to the Victory headquarters, right, you get out of the simulation. That's you are you out. Exit. Yeah, you exit. Yeah. Um, and she puts her hands up on the window and. But behind her, we see like the red suited people who are taking her, you know, have or been trying to take her away. The whole movie are coming up behind her. And then the movie cuts to black and we hear like her laughing. And that's the last that's the last image of the movie. But um, they were also sending people to her house in the real world to kill her. My question is. Why she goes over there earlier in the movie. And she does the exact same thing that she does at the end of the movie. So why is she not taken out of the simulation? Well, I think I think it's actually why that she was, and that like basically they knew she was going to the HQ, and so they got Harry Styles or sent other people back to the house or whatever to re to like. So what is the point of the ending then? Because isn't that just going to happen again? I mean, they're standing right there behind her, so aren't they just going to pull her right back out again, even if she goes out for? five seconds like well i, I think that understand. her body would di- like disappears in the simulation but why did it not do that the first time i think it did it did okay. i'm saying i think the impl- the implication is that it did mm-hmm. so maybe that's something that actually well i'm not going to say that it makes sense because again no, when she does it the first still when she does it the first time I, sh- I don't feel like she really gets transported to the real world right it's like She's having these visions. Well, I think what you see, you I think what you see is the machine above her, because there's a machine above her in the bed. Okay, and it looks like she's having visions, but I think it's actually okay. just what you see okay, in yeah. in the bed. 
It's unclear though. It's not. It's not clear that this is the case. It's just what I. Well, yeah, and they they muddy the waters. This is another thing I was going to say with all of these freaking imagery that she keeps seeing, like the dancers and all of this random crap. Yeah. That again, people will will sit here and watch like a Robert Eggers or David Lowry movie and be like, oh, they're just putting all this imagery in there for weird for the sake of weird. No, this is weird for the sake of weird. You're like, what would be unsettling imagery like we're gonna show you these dancers don't you feel weird watching this don't you feel unsettled watching these dancers there's no purpose to them it's Mm -hmm. just like a you know fledgling director again trying to make something that is surreal spongebob letters surreal um it's it's silly um but yeah, that, that means, so that's one question I guess answered, but I have a feeling that there are other questions that cannot be answered, um, about what happens sort of in the third act of the movie. We'll, we'll get back to that, but let's briefly talk about the cast, Scott, you know, I think you've given some of your thoughts, but, um, Florence Pugh obviously, um, is, you know, a huge star at this point. Um, and we've loved her in roles in the past. Sure. Um, She's in the MCU now, of course. Um, Mm -hmm. What do you think about her first sort of um, starring role in a adult studio movie? Like big studio movie. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, she wasn't the star of Black Widow, although she probably stood taller than everyone else would say that she was. But she yeah, she wasn't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think she does fine. It's really I'm just having a really hard time evaluating a performance like this in the context of this movie, because I think the performance is good. I found her to be transfixed. Like she held my attention. Is this character supposed to hold your attention though? That's my question. Is this, is this a character that's supposed to be sort of transfixing in the way that Florence Pugh, like the energy, like is the energy that Florence Pugh brings to this role, the right energy for this character? Mm. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I guess I'm I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around that in that way. Maybe I, I don't know. Like yeah. it's a, it's a it's a good performance. And I think going back to what I was saying in my high level thoughts is that I'm not sure she's doing anything other than playing, you know, very commanding, authoritative Florence Pugh. But I don't know a character if that's the right. that we've seen her play before. Yeah, yeah. I'm not and sure specific- if that's the role for the movie specifically like the you know going through trauma and stuff we've seen her obviously we played seen her yeah. play, play this in midsummer it's, it's very like, yeah very second half of little women after she's like grown up it's very midsummer it's it's which is fine like, she's really good at it i enjoy lady. watching her do that i just don't know if it makes sense in the context of the film i'm not sure it makes sense either but like honestly in hindsight i'm glad because if if it had been someone else doing something else, I probably would have just like completely tapped out of the movie. Um, so, Maybe. you know, at least it kept me from being 100 yeah. percent checked out and bored because I liked watching her and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in- interested to watch her because she's a very compelling screen presence. Yeah, I don't know, like. Um, I-, I guess maybe is what you're trying to say that this character that that this the performer we maybe should have had somebody who could be a little bit more timid or demure or something like that and that would have fit the character a little bit more i mean that's yeah so that's the question right a more innocent something like that because i'm having a hard time wrapping my head around like exactly what the simulation world is like because i think the one scene that you get of her outside of you know this world that 
which is like two minutes long yeah which is her she's she's a doctor you know she's a doctor operate like she's an she's an operator in terms of um surgeon yeah surgeon operator (laughs) i was thinking operating room yeah she's a surgeon um so like clearly like that personality makes a lot of sense when you layer that onto who she is in the simulation but is the simul isn't the simulation supposed to be making her what like what incel harry styles wants her to be which i presumably is not that character i just it didn't I, i'm having a hard time with it like i i can reconcile well, the fact that this is her personality in the real world having watched the movie but it doesn't make sense in the context of the simulation i think yeah so here's another thing i kept thinking about cuz you know there were some of the there were some interviews of olivia wilde talking about oh this movie where we really are going to highlight female pleasure and really like ha- patting herself on the back right for oh it we're, can't happen know, in the real world though scott that's the problem the, the sex scenes that you're gonna you're gonna see in this movie are you know the female is the one who's going to be enjoying them not the yeah. male because yeah. screw the males um but if this is the ideal simulation of again of what harry styles is setting up right yeah. like the, it doesn't the perfect scenario is his perfect scenario that he is just, just going like down on his going down yeah. on her the whole time and he never gets any pleasure himself like i mean i mean what? good for him but also doesn't seem like that's really what he's after on the one scene that you see in the real world yeah like this man is trash like he's complete trash like yeah. that's the message of the movie but except, all he wants to do is pleasure except, his wife yeah. yeah when he doesn't make any sense um Anyway, I just kept thinking about that because it was such a big deal in like the the, the discourse leading up to the. Well, movie. it's also just it's just funny because like the the film maybe unintentionally, sort of says that women. I mean, maybe this is real commentary that like women women's pleasure can't exist in the real world, is maybe what is maybe what the. But it makes even less. But it sense also that it's would in the not simulation. exist. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. It, it in, makes in even this, less sense in the simulation. That she's created. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's the that's the funny part to me. It's like okay, I think that's an interesting point you might be making but also what <laughs> it's because i mean again at the end of the day she just wants to go for like the twitter like yeah. feminist like yeah. you know here's the here's the fist pumping moment right and there are other examples of this too i mean jim jimma chan the whole thing that happens with her at the end i feel like is that is like the ultimate of that that's like the prom- i mean that's the promising young woman yeah thing. yeah like <laughs> It, forget about it making any sense or whatever we just want you to be like girls rock right like uh you know oh yeah sister gatekeep gaslight girl boss or whatever the <laughs> yeah, say yeah is. yeah yeah um, yeah you, you did it sis um she sure did as for, Florence P- as for Florence Pugh I mean I think I ultimately agree with you that I don't think she's doing anything new that we've seen her before, but she definitely comes out of the movie more unscathed than any other performer. She held my attention, whether she yeah. was supposed to or not. Yeah. Um, and and I don't I don't come out of this movie, you know, feeling any differently about her. Um, sure. Sure. Yeah, the script is probably bad on paper. You know, <laughs> like yeah, I would think you, so. You get the opportunity to work with Olivia Wilde, who at the time, right, was like this exciting female filmmaker. Like exciting up and coming female filmmaker, yeah, young young women big, saying how great it was to work with her. Yeah, it's yeah. gonna be a big studio movie. There's Oscar possibilities, right? Like at one point we thought this would be an Oscar film. Obviously, it's not going to be anymore. But um, at one point we thought so. It, I don't um, know. Could it, could it get a nomination for production design, Scott? No, it, I, it wouldn't be undeserving if if it did. I yeah. would say that that's the best element of the movie. It's but, the best simulation um, I've seen all year. 
Uh, by the way, I mean the the movie you have to think of, right? Is is Serenity, of course. But Serenity oh yeah, is at least knows what it is. So it uh, sure did. Give it more credit for that. But um, the, what the, and you're then, right, course, Scott. What I, this movie I, needed is a guy running around just called The Rules. Yeah, the rules. <laughs> I I, uh, I also of course made the joke that this was basically Free Guy, right? Because at the end of the day, it is about like an NPC becoming sentient as to their you know surroundings being a simulation or what. I mean, I know yeah. the similarities probably stop there, but uh, it uh, yeah. it did dawn on me that like, why has this become a thing? But anyway, as for the rest of the cast, Scott, you know, a lot of talk has been made about Harry Styles um, and his acting. Harry. Is it good? Is it bad? Obviously, you know, he's been in Dunkirk is really like the only other movie that he's been yeah. in. He didn't have accent uh, problems in Dunkirk, though, did he? Because um, he didn't speak no. at all. Yeah, he barely spoke. But um, at the end, when now I'm thinking back on it, like the ending scene where he's on the train, he's the one who's, he starts to read the paper. and He's like, no, I can't do this. And he hands it over to, to Fionn Whitehead. So maybe that was, again, Chris Nolan knowing something. But um Scott, you know, obviously he's one of the biggest pop stars in the world, if not the biggest. Um, most of the people who were in my theater to see this movie last night, I am pretty certain, were there to see him and him only. Um, oh, my theater for sure as what, well, hundred percent. Yeah. What do you What do you think about his performance? Does uh, is he going to be a dual threat to watch uh, Watch for moving forward? Um, Scott, he might be, but that's because apparently he's pretty good in the other movie that he has coming out this year. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be the dual. Yeah, my policeman. I don't think he's going to be the dual threat because of because of this one. Um, I did see someone pointing out on Twitter, and it just did again. This did not occur to me while I was watching the film in, in the moment. But yeah, Florence Pugh too is British. Um, she didn't have any problems with an American accent. I was film. thinking about that this morning. <laughs> well, why did they not just make her British though? Like, I don't get it. <laughs> I just. Oh yeah, I mean, but for whatever reason, Harry is going. I, I swear, like, I don't even know. I, but I don't Harry know is British. I mean, like, he is supposed to be British. His character is supposed to be British. Oh yeah, but I think that they changed that, and um, after he joined the because project, he and so they bad, realized yeah. that he <laughs> he couldn't he couldn't do an American accent worth of shit. Um, because that that part was originally Shia LaBeouf, and they weren't making Shia LaBeouf randomly do a British accent. Um, when they have Florence Pugh doing an American one, that wouldn't make any sense at all. Um, so look, I think, like, I don't know. He's, I'll say this. I think he's really lucky to be having a second movie coming out this year. Um, because I think that, it, but nobody's going to see that second movie probably like, is I it mean, even going to be released? Like wide like what people went know, and saw this movie because of harry styles why wouldn't they go see my police but this i mean this was the trailers for this movie were playing for months scott like i bet these people don't even know that my i mean maybe they do maybe some of them do because of the harry styles connection but like i i think that main like the people who went to see this movie because it was a relatively big budget sony thriller with an oscar-nominated actress in florence Pugh in it will probably not go see my policeman I think that the Harry, the Harry Hive will probably hear about my policeman. And if it's playing near them, we'll probably go see it. Especially um, because he's gay in the movie. And so they're going to want to see that. Yeah, because absolute, absolute gay any, panic is going to be happening. Yeah, 100%. Any woman that he, he like is in a relationship with apparently just gets like absolutely assaulted by the by his fans. So. Excellent. Um, can't can't wait to, to for that to happen. Yeah, I, I think that. Look, if he's being judged by this film, 
I don't know what to tell you. Like, it's not a good performance. He's doing really weird stuff in this film. I don't know why they made him put on a fake mustache or goatee or whatever the hell that was in like the one or one or two that's scenes. what incels look like scott sorry yeah I, I mean to be fair that is kind of what incels look like the ones that i think that i've <laughs> seen here in new york um you know it's, i'm not gonna out myself never mind i'm not gonna finish that thought um i, I have to say they're being really flattering to jordan peterson though which is who they think i was uh, i was about chris to find yeah. here is because yeah, yeah. he does not look like chris pine <laughs> Yeah, so in that front, I mean, Chris Pine looks like an absolute Chad, not a Jordan Peterson. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Harry Styles is like, I don't know, shrug. I didn't like, I did not like this performance. I mean, here, here's the thing. Here's the reality. I think this is true for Florence Pugh. As I mentioned already, I think this is true for Jimmy Chan. I think this is probably true for, I mean, maybe not so much for Chris Pine, but like a lot of people are really miscast in this movie. And I have no idea whether that is because really poor casting or if that's because olivia wilde didn't know how to direct them into the roles that they were they should have been playing i just like don't know i have no i just can't figure it out um i don't I, think I harry think styles is a good movie. shia labeouf would have been a great for, would have been great for this role i think yeah um i think frankly. this is a movie where like nobody is innocent really like except maybe florence p so like you know Yo, you're, 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 say, you're defending your girl hard i you respect you're hustling for her out here i mean yeah but like i, I don't think you could point to anything that she did as being like I, i'm saying i guess i'm Starting talking more about like behind the camera like you know we're talking about well is it the director's fault is it the screenwriter's fault? everyone has some fault in what happened here uh well, yeah like especially because florence was directing half the scenes right according to her well yeah you, you don't have an unmitigated disaster like this without everyone having some role because no, team effort what it means is nobody stepped up and said no maybe we shouldn't do this um, yeah a lot more people said it should have said no we shouldn't do this in this film that's for sure um like olivia wilde i mean i she's probably like the, the best of the supporting women in this film if i had to be honest yeah. Um, I did see some people on Twitter saying Olivia Wilde would save the best, like the like the best supporting character for herself, uh, which I think is probably like a bit that might be a bit unfair. Um, she was originally going to yeah, play Florence Pugh's character. She was originally going to play Florence Pugh's character, and then she and Florence Pugh was going to play her character, and then they swapped. I mean, um, you know, David Lynch gave himself the best character in Twin Peaks, so let's just let's be <laughs> let's not have a double standard here. Sure. Guys. Gordon, uh, what Gordon would you thought? What would you have thought if Dakota Johnson had been Kiki Lane's character? Because she was originally cast as Kiki Lane's character in this movie before she decided to make an actually good film with The Lost Daughter. Well, I definitely would have wanted more scenes than whatever scenes got cut because I mean, Kiki Lane doesn't even really have time to register in this movie. So there's like three scenes in this movie. Dakota Johnson, that would have been weird because that's a big star as well. So, yeah, I, um, I just I'm just very whatever. I mean, I guess so. Uh, is it is it Timothy Simmons? Is that is that? Dr. Oh, Collins yeah, he's all, he's always great. He's he's, he's always a highlight. Yeah. yeah, for sure. He was good. Timothy Simons. Yeah, um, he plays the doctor. Uh, yeah, I mean, Harry Styles is rough. I mean, when he raises his voice at any point in this movie and like tries to show some emotion. Alice it's it's really bad um it's really bad um so i don't know what this bodes for his his acting career because i can't say that it was all you know the director or screenwriter's fault like he brought yeah. nothing to this character in my opinion and there there are some laughable moments like there are moments where i actually chuckled to myself yeah 
I will say my theater was laughing a lot Mm -hmm. at him. I think too much. I mean, there's some stuff that was just like, come on, dude, (laughs) for real. But they were like laughing a lot. I thought it was a little bit too much. Maybe maybe you were more in their vote, though. Yeah, nobody else was really doing that in my theater, but uh, I was, you know, I, I did a little bit. And if I had been in a theater with more people, I'm sure I would, with, you know, who were reacting that way, I'm sure I would have. Um, okay, Scott, I mean, let's let's talk a little bit, I guess, about, you know, the a little bit more about the ending and maybe all the illogical things that seem to happen. But, um, you know, as we've already talk, talked about, the reveal is that um, this is actually a, a simulation, right? And incel Harry Styles in the real world has placed his wife, Alice, into this simulation because he doesn't ever get to see her. You know, she's she's a doctor. She's working 30-hour shifts. She comes home and she's like, I'm going to bed. And meanwhile, incel Harry Styles is like, well, but wait, you're supposed to cook me dinner. You're supposed to, like, sleep with me you're supposed to do all the things that a wife is supposed to do. And so you're not doing that. And so I'm going to put you in this simulation created by this Jordan Peterson type guy, right? That Chris Pine is playing. Um, And we're going to create this idyllic community. Um, So many things, Scott, so many questions that I have, like Mm -hmm. the real world. How is there not somebody who is a loved one of Florence Pugh's who is like shocked that she has just gone missing, right? Because th- there's never really any concept of like how much time is passing in the real world. So it seems like it's just the time is the same, right? I think because, that's the I think that's the implication because they go, go to, real, to yeah, right. They go he goes to work every day, but what, really what he's doing is going back to the real world. Um, yep. So. You know, I would think that someone would have noticed that she was gone for, you know, months, years, however long, you know, that this thing has been going on. Um, it's not clear. That's a huge question mark. There's like a, a thing of if the men get killed in the simulation, then they die in real life, but not the women. Like, why is that a rule? Because the bro, movie could, needs it to be, bro, right? Couldn't like, tell that's you. Explanation. <laughs> yeah. Um, could not tell you. Olivia Wilde's character, how does she become like sentient of what is going on? Like, because she couldn't knows what's you. going on. But like, oh, no, because she, she, she wanted to be put into the simulation so she could be with her kids who are dead in the real world. Okay. Well, yeah, that was kind of my next point is like, okay. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what real WandaVision mode? Um, it goes there, but um, no, it's uh, it's what's his face? It's um, it's the guy from the Matrix. I always forget his name. He wants to be reinserted back into the Matrix and forget about the real world. He's the villain in the first movie. That's not the agents. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. Cypher, yes. Are you talking about Joey Pants's character? Yes, yeah, that's Cypher. Yeah, he wants um, to be reinserted back into the Matrix. It's like, well, yeah, you know, Olivia Wilde was like, wasn't she like this? We're comparing this movie to like, what's like comparing this movie to like the, the Matrix and Inception and like all this crap yeah. beforehand. She like, said that she said she on. said Inception and the Matrix. Yeah. Yeah. Sister. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, ain't it. And then again, I think the craziest point is Gemma Chan's character just up and killing her husband. Um, that was the craziest and, scene, Scott. When she seems <laughs> to was... have been so devoted and like will defend yes. him to the death. 
earlier in the movie. And what has changed, right? Is it that this everything seems to be crumbling or, or what? Like, what has changed? Florence Pugh's character is escaping. I will say that the action scene at the end was pretty well staged. Again, another thing that I will give credit for for Olivia Wilde as a director um, is that the car chase and all of that was great. Although, again, victory for we're supposed to be, you know, a huge victory for feminism. And basically what ends up happening is that she crashes her car. Right. You know, the stereotype of women driving and uh, and ends up having to run up to the, the tower to try and. <laughs> uh to escape but anyway you went there i I, I, I digress um yeah yeah, but ultimately what it boils down to scott is it's exactly like the the twist that i have said is exactly as deep thematically as the movie gets right it is that these incel men these jordan peterson types who you know heaven forbid listen to podcasts um they want their their female partners who they don't have because they're incels um, to except, except for Harry be, Styles, who, who somehow has yeah as an incel to has, be as a partner to basically fulfill, you know, a June Cleaver role of like, you know, you have dinner waiting when I get home, you're cleaning the house, you know, until it's spotless, you are available to me for, you know, extracurricular activities whenever I should want to participate in them. And you know, you keep your nose out of my business, right? You, you don't, you don't ask about where I'm going, what I'm doing. You, you are there to support me and to support my progress, even when it is at your own expense. Um, there's that scene where they go to like the big party and he gets the promotion or whatever. And she, she's freaking out at this point and she goes into the bathroom and it's like a weird mirrored bathroom, uh, you know, where she's like, you know, looking at herself or whatever. And I thought to myself, finally, she gets to hold this, uh, she gets to share the screen with an actor of her caliber (laughs) because it's just her staring into a mirror. Um, but yeah, just wild stuff going on. But uh, but yeah, I, again, it, it feel. I think to, to circle back, it feels like yes, incels are do exist. Yes, there are toxic males who have sexist attitudes, sexist, outdated attitudes about the roles of women. But these are not the attitudes that they have. Like, I, I think not not to, not to defend incels, right? But their perspective is is different on. The whole situation. I mean, again, it, it, this movie just feels like it is out of a different era. Like if you had made this movie in the era that the the simulation seems to be taking place in, maybe it would have actually been saying something groundbreaking for the time. But we're not in that time anymore. It's sixty years later, and yeah, what are, what are we doing here? Like, what does this movie think it is accomplishing ultimately? Any ideas? <laughs> No, honestly, Scott, I have no, I have no <laughs> thoughts on this. I mean, look, I, I don't think that this film has anything interesting to say about incels. Yeah. I don't have an opinion about whether the it, the film is right or wrong about incels. I just like, I just don't think an incels ideal world is what they've described. And this is what you said already. But like, I just don't think that is. I don't know incels this. Like, well, I'm talking out my ass. I guess. Like, I have no idea. Like, I I assume that. Maybe we're the incels, Scott. I mean, we're, yeah, I we mean, are I, here doing yeah. a podcast right now. So. That's true. 
I'm not outliving a life, my life. I'm like criticizing the movie. We're only furthering her point. I mean, again, that we, she's yeah. she's she's set it up beautifully, right? She's made a critic proof movie because most critics, sure. most film critics are, are dudes. They're and so, yeah, I mean, they are what you would think of as being an insult. So any negative reviews that she's getting from these critics. You know they can they can be easily dismissed. Uh, our our reviews included, and I'm sure she'll be. Well, our reviews can be today. easily dismissed for other reasons, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for the same reasons that you would dismiss any of our reviews. But exactly, um, precisely, nothing nothing unique about this one, guys. <laughs> anything left I just, to like, say? I just don't have anything to say. Like I just don't think it's interesting. I think the movie's boring. I don't think what like, what the film has to say didn't interest me at all because it's not it's not nuanced it's not interesting like it's just not i don't think it's it's coming to the table and and talking about real real world issues from my perspective like i don't i don't know i i'm i'm a coastal elite so you know maybe i'm i'm not center of the country and maybe that's more what she's talking about although this film is set in california it looks like uh, you think olivia wilde knows what the the heartland of america is, <laughs> i'm just is forget that for, i'm saying like, no. i mean she grew up in kentucky but like i don't know like maybe i don't i have no idea she strikes um, me as not having any, like, as possibly being one of the most clueless people. I mean, I, we 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 were looking at that video today, Scott, this afternoon of her, like, outside Trump Tower or whatever, like, just pretty hilarious video of her with was... Mark Ruffalo and Michael Moore yeah. and other people just, like, shouting. Okay, also, I don't know who I was thinking of. We love America. Oh, yeah, that was rough stuff for her. I don't know what who I was thinking of. She didn't grow up in, in Kentucky. She grew up in outside D.C., so never mind. Um... I, I, I'm just like, forget whether Olivia Wilde knows what she's talking about, whatever, like, no clue. I just, like, don't think, like, as an East Coast elite, like, I don't know anyone like this. I don't know anyone whose ideal is is this. Um, it, It's not a, I don't think it's a, it's a seriously pervasive issue. I don't I think mean, that, again, going back to the thing I said at the beginning, I just don't think this is the kind of sexism that women are facing in the world today. Yeah, but, I mean, if, if we want to try and meet her on her level, like, you know, again, the archetype that she's drawing from for Chris Pine's character is Jordan Peterson. Is this like, I don't know what Jordan Peterson's whole deal is. Like, is this what his rhetoric is about? Like, e even if it is, right, let's say it is, okay, and, and this is like what he's advising the ideal scenario to be, and there are men who follow him. Like, why make this movie? Like, it is not I mean, that's a, the thing, I yeah. It's not a pervasive problem, right? Yeah, maybe there is this subset of like dude bros who follow Jordan Peterson and who subscribe to this um, belief system. But are we just going to go out here and make a movie about every weird, toxic subset of people and be like, look, these people are bad? Like, no, like that, that is not an important thing to say. It's not a necessary thing to say. It's an incredible waste of resources yeah opinion. i mean he, i mean jordan peterson is like you know your classic like sort of like traditionalist climate change isn't real um you know what does women. he think about masculinity though like I well guess i'm saying really I, I'm, I'm sure that it's like a women should be should be in the home you know men should be the breadwinners he doesn't believe in like like not like trans like trans rights things like that like gender expression He's just like your classic, like ultra conservative traditionalist. And, it, you know, that that exists. I'm not saying that, that those perspectives don't exist and that some people don't want that. I just don't think that is the pervasive issue of sexism that women experience on a daily basis. Yes. I mean, again, we're getting into like 
white guilt about Trump getting elected and her, you know, maybe wanting to present this as, well, here's the way that that Trump was able to get elected, right? That this awful thing was able to happen was because everyone who voted for him is a is a Jordan Peterson like dude who yeah. um who, who's you know thinks thinks this about women. Um not, not Jordan that, Peterson's not going to go see this movie, by the way. So that's the problem. Not that like, we the people could, who need to see this movie, I guess, aren't going to see it. Yeah, not that people like I or any, you know, could have had any possible role in why certain people felt the need to vote for for Trump. No, we're going to take the most extreme explanation, which or the that, it, most extreme, but also the simplest explanation, which is that everyone who voted for him is is in caricature of it yeah. is incel. Dude, bro, Jordan Peterson. Fair enough. Fair enough, Olivia. You win this round. Um, <laughs> I mean, she she made the movie that made thirty million dollars, you know, globally this weekend. Uh, although I, I heard that Jim Cameron also made a movie um, thirteen years ago that came that made more than this movie, this film this weekend. So I guess that was we'll cool. Get the, we'll get there in part two of the episodes. I'm just so excited to move on, Scott. The last thing I want to say, um, oh no, briefly is I mean, okay. this movie is written by Katie Silverman, right? Sure. Book smart. I believe she wrote set it up as well. Um, oh, did she? A yes, movie that we're fans did. of. Yeah. Um, in the comedy world. Once again, this is proving that people, filmmakers involved with comedy who, you know, make their name on comedy do not need to try and make serious films because the, it's, it's a very different, I mean, Jordan Peele is like the one person who's been able to pull it off, I guess. Um, but even he did never made like a comedy film or anything. He just did like, you know, sketch comedy and stuff. And then mm -hmm. clearly has been making the movies that he, he wanted to make. Um, well, he actually has something interesting and modern and relevant to say. Yeah. Yeah. But for the most part, like the same broad sledgehammer approach that you take to comedy is not going to work for drama. We've now seen this in a lot of, you know, different ways. Adam McKay obviously being kind of the the um, the Jordan Peterson like figure at the heart of all this, who created all of this this Jesus trend. Christ. He's the Chris what Pine like figure. I, I was trying to draw a parallel between him and the Chris Pine characters being like, you know, the person who Woo. created this, all this right. whole trend. But, um yeah, well, I'm I'm no fan of his. Maybe that was a bit harsh, but but anyway, it it all it all stems from that, Scott. And I just have to say, it just needs to stop. Like, I, it just needs to stop. Um, sure. Mike Michael Showalter was another example. Like last year, he tried. He made the the eyes of Tammy Faye, which was awful. Um, Did you see it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I watched tragic. it on HBO Max like a couple months after it came out, but. Oh. Um, good for you just because i wanted to see the oscar-winning performance of course but um you didn't watch don't look up though no uh, it didn't no. win an oscar i guess so yeah it was it was never gonna win an oscar um is that true but never going to win could have won original song and anyway scott i think this is just another example of I, I, there's clearly an underlying problem here with people oh, yeah. trying to to transfer their approach to comedy to movies about serious issues and yeah it's just it's so the, the jordan peele comparison is an interesting one because i did see some people saying like this is like this is like the get urban, out yeah the urban white woman's get out and i'm just like do urban white women need a get out film is that <laughs> is that is that needed do urban white women need a film <laughs> i guess the real question 
Sure. I I'm mean, kidding, of course. I but. mean, Little Women is, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Um, I don't think they were very urban, but <laughs> didn't didn't she li literally live in Boston or whatever, New York or whatever? But they were Joe? living on like a farm. Well, no, they? but Joe was like in the city. She. Uh, okay. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. I, we've gone down a strange. We've gone, road we've gone off the reservation on this one. Um, I, I, it's just like the the notion of like picture get out but for white women just like that's a really get out for pitch. karen's get out let's that's, just say what say it what it is it's get out for karen's is it okay i don't follow that one um but the point is like that's a weird pitch for a movie right like if someone said scott would wouldn't you love to see get out but for white women like that would just be like a really strange pitch <laughs> uh, for, this movie for should film. not be mentioned in the same sentence as get out sure i think that the no problem way. is is that sexism is, here's the problem for the movie sexism is a real modern problem that exists today just like racism yes. but this film has not captured what like the, the modern issue for women is. this this is like if jordan peele's get out was like like uh bradley whitford's character like literally had slaves in the basement or something like that like it li literally it was enslaving yeah. people in the basement it is simply preaching to the choir no one is going yeah. to go come away from this movie with a better idea of how to fix the issue of sexism. It is simply reinforcing what they already believed about it. Most likely. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, the, fi the film doesn't need to tell you how to fix sexism. It just needs to, it just needs to bring something interesting in the conversation. It has nothing yeah. interesting to bring the conversation. I mean, get, get out doesn't tell you how to solve racism, but it had a really interesting spark of a conversation in it. Um, yeah. If you so. want to solve racism, watch green book. Should have expected that one coming. And end of tweet. Gre uh, greatest beer run ever out in a couple of weeks, I think. Yeah. A movie which is apparently like about how Vietnam protesters suck. So looking forward to that one. I mean, the film is Zach Efron doing a beer run in Vietnam for his buddies fighting in the war, right? Like that's, that's yeah. like the, the nuts. The real and American the hero. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, you can't get Anheuser-Busch anywhere else, baby. Let's go. Budweiser. What's your favorite senior moment from this film, Scott? The credits rolling? I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I, I okay. In in fairness, there were there were some nicely um, uh, composed scenes. I, I do I do think the um, the Chris so the the scene you briefly mentioned one part of it earlier at the at the the big party that Chris Pine throws when like Florence Pugh is having mm -hmm. sort of a meltdown and he calls Harry Styles up on stage. That scene, I think, is really well, um, well composed. You like to like cross cutting between that and oh uh, yeah, and it was her good with stuff. Olivia Wilde in the back. Yeah, 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 really good stuff. Um, yeah, I think that's what I'd say. I don't really have much more to add to that. Good. Scene. Um, the w only scene. I mean, again, I thought the action stuff at the end was weirdly kind of good, but um, the the, the scene where oh, like they in the house, you have like in the house and stuff. I'm talking about like the car chase and the oh gotcha oh yeah would she yeah. yeah that was cool I agree with that um the one scene which I actually kind of liked again mostly because of Florence Pugh is the is when they all come to their house for dinner and Florence Pugh sure. is now like openly trying to stir the yeah. pot like and her like sitting at the the dinner table and like prodding everyone um it was was fun to watch it was it was uh it was fun to watch yeah i mean it was fun like it was the one time when the movie like actually embraced i thought what it could have potentially been like embraced sure. some of its camp potential um and florence Pugh like really 
eats up the moment there and um you know sells that for all that it's worth but there was far too little of that in the entire movie all right what's your score out of 10 four i don't know probably less than that 3.5 i'm not sure it's low 2.5 it sucks um that this movie has nothing to offer do not watch it um (laughs) It, it yeah. really it really pains me because as much as I tried to prop up or yeah, yeah try to champion like a female filmmakers and stuff when you know great movies come out uh, because I think there are so many talented ones working that aren't getting enough credit my like two movies that I have genuinely hated this year was this and Sharp Stick which are both by female filmmakers so um, it doesn't give me. Men. I, you're not a I don't men think hater, I hated Scott. It. You're not I didn't a men hate hater. it. It was bad, but I didn't hate it. Like I, I think you got the point of the film if you're not hating men. Just put it yeah. that way. Fair enough. I didn't get the point of this film either. I guess, but it gives me no pleasure to say it. But um, at least my favorite film of the year so far is also by a female filmmaker. So I guess it all comes out in the wash. Um, what film? Petite Maman. Oh right. Okay. Yeah, I saw that. Line. Okay. Yeah. 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 Sorry, I was like, what film are you talking about? It all comes out in the wash. Um, Scott, James Cameron, not a female filmmaker, but we will be talking about uh, him after the break and the the re-release of Avatar. Uh, We'll also have some new casting news for you, so stay tuned. We'll be right back. back to this episode of some like it scott scott um you know sometimes in part two here we like to talk about other movies that we managed to catch um you didn't watch a new movie per se but you did watch a movie that is new to theaters for the first time in 13 years now you got to see the re-release of james cameron's avatar and imax how was that it was phenomenal scott there there was some some remastering done i was reading about it after the fact i thought it was just a straight re-release but they did do some some touching up and updating. I actually read a lot into like the way James Cameron um, and his main, I guess, producing partner, whose name is actually escaping me right now, um, go about preparing films um, for studio, for for theatrical release. Super interesting if you want to get into that later. But I saw at the release of Avatar. You know, I, I I think I gave this film four stars when I reviewed it on Letterbox. I didn't have a rating on it before. Um, cause it'd been so long since I'd seen, since I'd seen the film. And all I got to say, Scott, is that this movie is really cool to see on the big screen. I mean, I was sort of rambling and ranting to you after seeing the movie about how the story is fairly lackluster. I think, um, you know, I think there's some pretty obvious flaws in the first half of the film. There's some pretty stilted dialogue. Like it just comes off as kind of like campy or cringy a little bit um i think those things get better and like in spite of all that you know i I, like i feel like it's kind of like i mean it's definitely very fashionable to think avatar is garbage like that is like a very fashionable opinion to have this one is not garbage like jim jim cameron 
made like a crazy world. The film looks absolutely freaking gorgeous. Um, the script, like I said, may have some awkward lines and some awkward dialogue in it. But at least, yeah, the whole unobtainium thing that is that is that is good stuff. Um, but like watching this film after starting to like really start really starting to feel burnt out on Marvel movies, be like, if like this is still like the top end of Marvel, like it really is. Like that's the crazy part about it. like yes, it like there's a couple movies that are probably better than Avatar in the MCU, but like if the MCU could consistently get near the quality of Avatar, nobody would be complaining about the MCU. That's what I'll say. Um, I get, I even, even with the dialogue, I got, I still got pretty invested in these characters. Like, you know, Sam Worthington, Zoe Saldana, like, you know, more so, I guess more so Sam Worthington, like his career never really took off after this. And that just like trash fire Terminator movie that he made. He's I'm sorry. I find him extremely bland. Like, him and him sure. and Jai Courtney are the same person. Like, yeah, I I think that that him as a as like a human being, I get that. Something about his sort of like boyish, like fish out of water charm in this movie, I, I it does kind of work for me. And the fact that it's like heavily motion, like mo capped, almost voiceover type performance that works for me because. Because there's just something that I just find, you know, I'm a sci-fi junkie and a little bit of a sort sci-fi fantasy type junkie. Like the the whole Navi thing, it works for me. Like they're blue people. Sure. You can make fun of that. But like it, that stuff really works for me. Sigourney Weaver, I had sort of forgotten, you know, how much of like a force of nature. I think she still has the ability to be as an actress. Um, she gets to play like their kid in this in the sequel. She's like mo-capping as a child, like basically for their child. It's very interesting, like what she's doing for the sequel, because I was looking it up after. She's playing Kiki, which I think is like their daughter, or Kiri, which I think is their daughter um, in the sequel, which I think is super interesting. But I think she's great. She's she's actually really good um, in the film. And it's just like the world is just stunning. Like the fact that someone can create a world, um, A, dream it up, but then B, visually realize it on the screen is awesome and, and i think it's just really cool that you know 13 years later we're gonna get a sequel that jim cameron had always envisioned making and he was waiting for the right technology um to exist and he's just been for the last decade he's just been literally innovating you know motion capture cg underwater technology to make this film and like is that going to mean the story is an all-timer and that the film will be five stars maybe not but that's not always why i go to see movies i think that's what i come back to at the end of the day like dune to me last year was this sort of perfect encapsulation of of everything like it has the world it has the performances it has the story it has the characters like it has it all but avatar still has a bunch of those things it doesn't have the story it has some of the characters it has some of the performances but like it has the world um it has the visual components it has the sound um it's really awesome it's just a total escape um which is sometimes exactly what you're looking for at the movies yeah, I mean, innovation is it's just what James Cameron has done, like his whole yeah. career. I mean, even before there was CGI, you know, what he was doing with Aliens, Terminator yeah. and Terminator 2 with practical yeah. effects was was unbelievable. Um, and still, you know, again, Terminator 2 still has some of the best tra- practical effects ever. So, um, Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I like Avatar. I haven't seen it in many years. Um, you said you like Avatar, Scott, but I, I've seen your star rating on Letterboxd. It's three stars on Letterboxd. 
Is it three? It is. Yeah, I mean, I I think I have a lot of problems with the story, um, but I again, I haven't right. seen I haven't seen it in many years. I have a feeling, like you said, that you know this movie probably aged really well in the in the you know era of Marvel and all that jazz. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, think, I, I mean, this is what I, I, I really to want you. to see it. Yeah, yeah, I really want to see the, the theatrical engagement. I'm not going to be able to see it this week. However, my my friend. Uh, Tim Bricola, who is, manages an AMC theater, says he thinks it's a it's in a two week engagement, which means that I could potentially catch nice. it next week, which I definitely want to do if I have the chance because it's been so long. I barely remember anything about it. I think I would mm -hmm. enjoy it a lot more if I were to see it. Yeah, my yeah. my last thoughts before yeah. we do move on is that to your point about the Marvel stuff, and I I was briefly touching on this earlier, but like it's so refreshing to watch a film that is like a bit like a two hundred plus million dollar film where there is not some like ride joke every other line like it it's like truly like reverse you know i agree shot. with you on that <laughs> well that's the thing like it, it doesn't like it bothers me in marvel movies but it doesn't like really weigh on me in the moment and then when you go and watch like when i go and watch avatar i'm like like this is what like the joke pacing should be like there are still jokes in the movie but it is not happening you know two or three times a script page like it's just nuts um the the sort of like side by side comparison in my head it was like the reverse culture shock kind of experience um with that and the set pieces i mean they're just awesome like the set pieces in this film are crazy i had I forgotten mean, I, like what the big final set piece of the film was i just completely forgotten what it was so freaking cool i mean i i've not, i haven't seen a james cameron film that i i don't like i mean and and most of them i love so um Again, my, my opinion, I'm sure, will go up on this. But yeah. Also, this yeah, this I mean, film did spawn one of my favorite letter, like one of my favorite personal favorite letterbox reviews that I've had in a while. So the story, yeah, it was good. It was good. Uh, the story and characters are just not up to like, you know, uh, Terminator or Titanic, or, you know, something like that. You know, Cameron's sure. best, but that's fair. Um, but Terminator and Titanic didn't have pandora in my like i'm just as a comparison sure. like, like the film i think you go to watch those movies for different things i'm not putting a value yeah. judgment on one versus the other i probably would like terminator more than avatar it's just been so long since i've seen it um yeah. but like you could I go to avatar that, for something different you could argue that uh titanic has its own sort of world that it builds in the same way that pandora does but yeah sure. and that, jack's that just looking jack's just looking for the unobtainium and that is a rich woman to take yes. care of him. Yeah. yeah, it turns out she's pretty obtainium, to be honest. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, uh, but sorry, that's the quote of Titanic. Um, whoops. Anyway, uh, Scott, before we go, uh, casting news? news I wanted to share. Yeah, is that uh, Brandon Cronenberg's uh, new film has been cast with a uh, with a rating by the ratings board. Um, yeah, this film is called Infinity Pool. Scott, uh, it stars Alexander Skarsgård, um, who you know we saw this year in uh, The Northman, and uh, Mia Goth, who of course has been getting a lot of buzz, rightfully so, for her role as Maxine and Pearl in uh, Ty West's X and Pearl. Um, two two uh, performers who I think are well suited for Brandon Cronenberg's, uh, you know, out there style for sure. They've shown that they're they're willing to to you know branch out and do some eclectic stuff, um, and and so uh, I'm excited to see all three of them working together. This film, Scott, has received an NC-17 rating for graphic violence and sexual con content. Um, 
you know, we don't see the NC-17 rating handed down as much. It, I, I'm not going to go into a long history of it, but there is the great documentary. I've probably mentioned it here before on the show, but this film is not yet rated about the ratings board. But there was a time when the NC-17 was, you know, a death knell basically for film. So if you, if you, because it meant it couldn't be screened in, in, you know, mainstream theater. So if your film received an NC-17, you'd basically do whatever you needed to do to cut it so that it could be it could you could get it down to an r obviously things are a lot different nowadays especially with streaming right they'll put anything on streaming um and actually you know i saw a couple of people saying like well what's the last movie that actually did get an nc-17 i think technically brandon cronenberg's last film scott which is possessor um yeah. which was one of my favorite films um of 2020 my number two film 2020 actually i love that movie um was kind of an NC-17. There was a theatrical cut of it that I believe was rated R, but there weren't really movies screening theatrically in 2020. And so the movie that, the version that has been made available um, and is on streaming, like I know is on Hulu, um, if you were to go watch the movie, is what is known as Possessor Uncut, which is, you know, the director's original cut, basically, um, which I presume was NC-17. Um hence why there are two cuts to begin with so you know this is not something new for brandon cronenberg this is not something new for david cronenberg either i believe that uh his film crash i i don't know if it was released as an nc-17 or whether it just received one at some point in the process but um but yeah i mean you know the cronenbergs the types of movies that they make are always towing the line um you know we saw crimes of the future this year which was Brandon's father's film. Um, and it, you know, it had its fair share of freakish moments to say the least. So, I, I mean, I don't know, you know, if there's much more to the story here, Scott, except that this movie's received an NC-17, so it's obviously going to have some extreme content. But you probably would have expected that anyway. And I'm really excited for this movie. I mean, it's not going to be coming out this year now, um, as far as I know. Um, I think at the start of the year, maybe we thought it might come out this year, but um, you know, this is the first I've heard about it in quite a while, but mm -hmm. when it does come out, I'm going to be very excited for it. I'm glad that he is making movies, you know, with abandon, like he he's, he's getting to make the movie that he wants. Obviously he's going to, it sounds like he's going to accept the NC 17 rating. I don't know. Um, but I, I don't know. Well, it's, it does say the distributors are playing to appeal the ratings, so I don't know exactly how that whole process works. But if it does get an NC-17, it will be interesting to see how it affects the distribution of the film. But, well, they'll uh, probably recut it. They probably wouldn't. They wouldn't release an NC-17 film in theaters. You're probably you're probably right. Um, but but I guess that's my point, Scott. Do they just say, well, forget theaters, then let's just put this on streaming or something because they have more possibilities nowadays. But um, yeah, I mean, but that's does Brandon Cronenberg want his film go straight to streaming, though? Probably not. Uh, probably not. And whoever's distributing is it Neon? I think it's probably Neon that's distributing it. Um, I, I haven't looked into it. I can I can do they infinity pools. Possessor. They yeah they distributed Possessor and Crimes of the Future so it would make sense if they did but um, I imagine they want this movie to have um, you know a theatrical run of some sort I wonder like again I, I'm not being distributed by Elevation Pictures in Canada and Neon in the U S okay there we okay. go um, what fully what the whole uh, rules are but i wonder if like independent like art house theaters and stuff could could still show the movie 
Um, Neon has an output deal with Hulu, so I mean, it could go straight to Hulu. Yeah, something to watch for is my is my point. It is kind of an interesting anomaly oddity that we don't see as much anymore. I mean, yeah, um, studios go out of their way to make sure they they don't ever release a film that would get an NC seventeen rating in theaters. And personally, I'm sure we are both of the opinion that you know we would much rather see the director's vision, which would be the NC seventeen version, than um, something watered down for for theatrical distribution. You prefer to see the the director's vision on Netflix? unproduced unedited yeah i mean again these are the trade-offs we have to be asking about uh nowadays but um yeah i think ultimately i probably would rather see that on streaming than you know something else in theaters but yeah i don't even know what the difference was in possessor because i've only seen the i just i just looked it up there's only a minute there's only 45 seconds difference in runtime. i can guess yeah i mean I, i can certainly speculate based on that film which i've seen a few times now i think i probably know yeah what moment specifically was you know had to be cut but i guess my yeah uh, my question is why is that important to be in the film i think that there's like some extra violence in in the uncut version as well that's not yeah in in the case of the one part i'm thinking of a possessor i don't think there's probably anything that is added to the film by having that in there um but you know that i i don't i don't want to presume the same for infinity pool i guess at the end of the day yeah, sorry. I think all the sex scenes between Alexander Skarsgård and Mia Goth are going to be really critical to the violence. That's what the people want. It's what the sickos want. Look, uh, I mean, he's a good filmmaker. Uh, he uh, he makes movies with purpose, so I'll give him some credit. Um, sure. All right, Scott, that should do it for this episode of the podcast. Where can our listeners find you on social media? At Shelton 2013 and I'm at Scarvy Dent on all social media platforms. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast. If you have and you'd like to support us, don't forget about our Patreon page at patreon.com slash media plug pods. Uh, even if you can't support us over there, however, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, do all the things that you do on your preferred podcast app. Scott, we will be off next week while you are at the New York Film Festival, but we'll be off. We'll, we will be back in two weeks for our review of one of the big Oscar season movies, it's David O. Russell's Amsterdam. We'll also get your report from the New York Film Festival. Until then, for Scott Shelton, I'm Scott Harvey. We'll see you down the road.